Hello, this is another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. As always, this is Kyle Bird, and with me uh, is my co-host. Matt Parmley. How you doing, Matt? Good, how are you doing, Bird? Um, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, and today we are joined uh, by a special guest um, who some people listening may be familiar with, uh, but we have Mr. Bob Johnson, uh, co-founder of Sci-Fi Japan, and of course, um, the, I guess, former uh, website, Henshin Online, as well as Markalite Magazine, and of course, uh, running Bay Area film events, uh, who are gearing up to do another Godzilla Fest. We're going to ask him about all that stuff. Um, Bob, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, it's interesting, this is probably the most... We've communicated. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've. Uh, some people might know. I've, I've done um, stuff for Sci-Fi Japan in the past. Not recently, mostly because uh, time uh, and, of course, my new hobby of podcasting. Kind of, kind of shoved that to the wayside. Most of my communication was through Keith. So uh, yeah, Bob is finally. Uh, it's nice to finally get uh, a minute to chat with you. Yeah, no, Keith has basically been carrying the thing because I've been occupied doing these shows for Bay Area film events and things. I've uh, neglected my sci-fi Japan duties a little bit. But <laughs> um, I keep promising him I'll do more. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so I guess in a way we're, we, we we're sort of colleagues-ish, but... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're here to talk to you about Godzilla Fest and of course kind of get into your endeavors and, um, so, uh, like I said, you've been around for a while doing stuff. Uh, uh I'm very old. So <laughs> many, many years. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of people probably know some, some of your writing from different fanzines and magazines and of course your screenings in the Bay Area, um, but. I guess let's let's take a minute to just kind of backtrack. Uh, I feel like everyone kind of probably has a similar story, but uh, just got to get it done with. How did you become interested in Godzilla and kaiju and, and Japanese uh, genre films? Well, let's see. I guess I'll, uh, I'll give away my age by talking like this. But um, it basically started back in 1967... Ultraman was showing in the San Francisco Bay Area on TV 20. And uh, I was watching that. I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, watching all the cartoons, you know, like uh, Speed Racer and Gigantor and Kimba and Astro Boy and all that stuff. And then here came Ultraman. And I thought that was so cool because up to that point, you know, the superheroes we had here were like Batman and the Green Hornet and the old Superman. But, uh, but here's Ultraman, you know, this giant guy fighting monsters and, you know, the cool, I used to call it like the super ball mold, the paint swirl at the beginning. I thought that was really cool. And then I was over at a friend's house and he said, hey, you got to watch this movie that's on today. This is really cool. So, okay, what is it? It was Godzilla versus The Thing. So I watched that and I was instantly hooked and uh, haven't looked back since. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have Godzilla versus the thing is kind of the gateway drug. However, I don't hear Ultraman often, so, um... Oh, Ultraman, yeah, no, Ultraman's big in my world, but, um, 
No, I mean, Godzilla vs. The Thing is funny because that's like my favorite movie. <laughs> and I think it's like the best of the bunch. Yeah. So I guess technically it was all downhill from there. But <laughs> Yeah, well, but no, was... after the first one, it's still my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so I guess that kind of leads naturally into the next thing I kind of want to ask you about is... Um, what made you decide to start researching and writing about Japanese genre films for for people that are younger? I mean, I'm probably the last generation. I'm I'm 34, so I'm probably the last generation that, as a really young kid, ever had to kind of like rely on things outside of the internet. So, oh, so you know, it's worth noting that you were one of you know a handful of people. I mean, um, you know. Greg Shoemaker, who who just passed, um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I was gonna talk about Greg because that was kind of my first. You know, back then when you didn't have the internet, you know, you're kind of isolated, and you think, man, I'm the only person in the world who likes this stuff. And uh, then I think it was it was either Ad and Famous Monsters or one of those, and it was for Japanese Fantasy Film Journal. And uh, the first one that I saw had Ultraman Ace on the cover. And I thought, wow, this is cool. I'm going to get this. And that was Greg Shoemaker's fanzine. Back then, Back then we had to, uh, there's no computers, obviously, not in ho- households anyway. <clears throat> so it was all cut and paste. And, you know, you'd like type out columns and then, you know, paste, cut them out and paste pictures in there. And, you know, although Greg Shoemaker... He had an advertising background. So his layouts were all real slick and really nice. And you had other things like Japanese Giants and uh, Ed Gazazeski did, uh, did, yeah, he did the Japanese mm-hmm. Giants. There's also was like Giant Dumb and a few others. And, you know, they were all, they all kind of varied in quality. Some were just kind of like Xeroxed pages of type, you know, with some dark photos and things. But, you know, once we got up to to Markelite when we did that, and that was like the late eighties, early nineties. And that was still kind of the very early genesis of computers and being able to lay out on computers. But we still had to print out and paste up onto boards for the for the final product for the printers. So yeah, we do them on PCs and Macs, and then we'd have to get everything together and and do the cut and paste still yeah so it was uh interesting times but yeah i mean basically you know reading the articles that uh that ed had and and greg and uh and was it brad all those guys um just got me interested in you know well there's more to it than just watching it on tv yeah so So then you start kind of you know meeting up with other people and things like that and uh and it kind of goes from there yeah well back then i mean you had that handful of people and then of course mark like came a little bit later but what made you to just be like hey i i want to do this too well you know um i guess i was kind of lucky back then because being in the san francisco bay area we got exposed to a lot and uh so there were a lot of fans around here. So it was a matter of 
there was a place called the Fruitvale Playhouse over in uh, Oakland, and they were showing Godzilla movies like every month, like a Godzilla matinee. And so through there, I met a bunch of people that uh, had similar interests and became, you know, friends for a long time. Some dropped off, some not. And uh, so there was basically a pretty good group of us that uh, were into the stuff and we'd get together and we'd trade tapes, basically. we You couldn't just go out and buy stuff um, for the most part. You'd have to... Uh, We'd buy like Uchusen magazine and Japanese people would just like run a little ad in the back of Uchusen magazine and they'd actually have their address in English. And so you'd write them and say, hey, you want to trade some tapes? And then, uh, you know, you'd end up taping whatever, you know, old episodes of Six Million Dollar Man or whatever and shipping them over Japan and then you get a box back of, you know, Ultraman and Captain Harlock and Gatchaman and, you know, whatever, uh, Common Rider and stuff. So um, that was kind of the genesis of it. So once we got more exposed to the world outside of Godzilla, then we kind of want to let people know more about it. So uh, we started, you know, some of us started writing articles and things. Uh, when Mark and I started, it was basically myself and August Ragoni that started that. And uh, we kept that going. Three issues. It had a circulation of like 6,000. So, you know, it was it was kind of a step up from the fanzines that, that Greg and those guys were doing. Um, basically because we hooked up with a publisher who got us into like Tower Records. And uh, we were out at, we were in Diamond distri- you know, Distribution. And so we were in a lot of the magazine stores and smoke shops and things. Um, so that got more exposure. And it went really well until <clears throat> the uh, publisher, Pacific Rim, decided to uh, run off with the money and everything else. And that was kind of, <laughs> kind of the end of that. Yeah, that'll do it. What, what actually made you start Markalite? What was the, Were there a specific inspiration? Well, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we wanted, we had been writing for, uh, some of the fanzines and I actually wrote for a little while for a new type magazine over in Japan. And, uh, that was kind of, that was an interesting story. I'll tell in a minute, but, um, I was writing for a new type and I was writing for uh, a couple of fanzines and things. And then, uh, we decided, well, you know, we should just do our own magazine. And, uh, we ended up, like I say, hooking up with Pacific Rim Publishing, and they were interested in it. So uh, that was kind of the impetus for us to go ahead and do it. It's like, okay, it's not us Xeroxing and stapling together pages. It's going to be actual deadlines and you know, a publisher and all these issues printed up and subscriptions and everything else. So um, it grew pretty fast. Yeah, we actually, uh, so we did a panel at G-Fest on Godzilla versus Bailante, and that was one of the, the sources that we actually used quite a bit of, the, the Bailante episode, or uh, uh, so the, the issue, that with like the Heisei Perfection books. But um, I'm curious, after the publisher basically screwed you over, did you ever talk about rebooting it at all? Well, at that point, the internet re- reared its ugly head, and uh, we ended up doing a... a website basically called henshin online and uh oh you know we didn't really have 
all the big internet chops. So it was actually uh, Kyle, Kyle Yount who does uh, the Kaiju cast. He was our web guru. So the three of us were doing Henshin online. And, uh, and that went on, you know, pretty long until, you know, we, there were some differences and we ended up kind of splitting off and, uh, and then Keith and I started Sci-Fi Japan. But, um, for a while there, there was, a uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name. He, he did a really big, uh, Godzilla website. Um, yeah, it was called Monster Zero, and I can't remember the guy's name. He passed uh, away. Yeah, Aaron, right? Aaron, yeah, Aaron yeah. Smith. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember his last name. I yeah, I think it was Aaron Smith. And yeah, yeah, he uh, he brought us into his fold, and we became kind of part of Monster Zero for a while. And he was actually picked up by I think it was Fandom.com or something, and we were part of that. Kind of rode that wave for a little bit, but uh, but yeah, no, it was it was interesting. Yeah, it's kind of fun because. Instead of hitting deadlines and saying, okay, all this stuff is going to come out on such and such a date, you know, the internet, you can put anything out at any time. And I think over the years since then, the internet has kind of made printed media pretty much obsolete. Because by the time you uh, put together a magazine and print it and put it out, whatever news you have in there has already been on the internet for a month. It's really kind of hard to, to keep on the edge of everything. Um, yeah. Well, I will say about Markalite, I, I have all three issues, and there's still, not just wax in your car, there's still <laughs> three of the best, you know, magazines for Japanese science fiction, and I, the thing that I like about them, and it's part of why we started doing this podcast, is because it covers such a broad range. It's not all Godzilla, it's not all superheroes, it's not all anime it's yeah. a little bit of everything, and you know, I, I think it, within Godzilla fandom, especially younger people, you know, they're really just kind of interested in Godzilla and you know the meat and potatoes. But it's like you know, there's so much more to it than just that, and that's why I still revisit those issues because there's such a diverse amount of material in them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we were always pushing the fact that, you know, there's there's more to life than 30-some Godzilla movies. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we used to do panels at local conventions, wonder cons, and things like that. And we'd do one called Japanese Superheroes Now. And it would be basically covering whatever the new superhero shows are. So whatever the new Sentai show was, or Kamen Rider, or Ultraman, um, you know, Space Sheriff, what, you know, whatever the latest series was, we'd... Uh, show clips and talk about it yeah. and uh you know throw in a godzilla movie if there was a new one out but um you know i mean you had what was it from 75 to 84 you had a hiatus going yeah and then from uh 95 to 2000 you had a little hiatus so i mean what are you gonna do you can either rewatch those movies 100 times which we probably do anyway <laughs> yeah, you're right. or or you could check out a few ultraman episodes or you know any of the uh superhero shows from Toei or even the, you know, even the animation, a lot of the effects guys and writers and things and directors that worked on the Godzilla films also worked on TV. And then they worked on a lot of the, you know, Ishiro Honda worked on mirror man and return of Ultraman mm-hmm. and, and zone fighter. So, yeah. you know, you can kind of say, well, you know, I don't want to just jump in cold, but I can follow Ishiro Honda 
and watch his episodes and kind of get into these things that way. Yeah, Zone uh, Fighters Wild, we covered that on uh, on the show, and his I I really dug the the Honda episodes. I, I am actually curious, how did you you know back in that that time, like how did you find the information you guys were able to present in Markalite? Because there's a lot of really good stuff in there, and not having the internet and, and a means of communication, like what was your how did you go about finding out the the information you presented in the magazine? Well, fortunately, being in the San Francisco Bay Area, we had Japantown or the Japan Center in San Francisco. And I just always used to joke that we pretty much kept that thing afloat because we would go down there and uh, you'd have like Kinokuniya Bookstore and Tayodo Records and, you know, all these different places. And, you know, basically we knew when stuff was coming in. So we'd be standing there when the boxes came in and, you know, they'd open. The, Kinokuniya, there was this, uh, this one girl who worked there, Fujiko, and she knew us. We knew her. And so we knew when the stuff was coming in. So we'd be there right on that day. And she'd open the boxes, and we'd get to dig through before they, anything got on the shelves. So we'd buy a lot of the, uh, a lot of the books, a lot of magazines, uh, even the, the kind of kitty TV books like TV Coon, and uh, TV Magazine, things like that. Um, and that would have, basically, you know, Ushusen Magazine as well. That, that would have a lot of information, and you know, it's like we'd find some Japanese people and bribe them to translate stuff, and. <laughs> Yeah, we'd, uh, we'd kind of go from that. I had a <laughs> Japanese pen pal who actually lived in Scotland. And I would like, I'd send him stuff and he'd fax back translations. Oh man, fax machines. You're, you're taking oh, me. I, <laughs> I was working at uh, the Claremont Hotel in Oakland, which is like this big resort. And I was in the AV department. And we also oversaw the business center. So I could kind of get in there and play around with the fax machines here and there. Well, one day or one morning, I came in and our translator had translated like, he must have been saving this up for months. But he had like 40 pages of stuff and he just like faxed it all over that night. I came in the morning, there was like paper like all over the floor and it's like all these pages. I'm like, holy crap. But uh, but yeah, I mean, translators were definitely definitely a godsend. Okimiyano, who uh, you might have heard of, he was translating for us for a while he's down in uh, southern california okay what was it you were you were you said there was a, a story about new type oh new type magazine yeah it was like uh they had me doing a column each issue on uh japanese shows and animation and stuff in america like coming over here so i was down at uh san diego comic con and uh, Carl Maycheck was there. Now, Carl owned Streamline Productions, and uh, he also did, like, Robotech and all that. So Robotech was the big thing at the time, and he was up there talking about Robotech. And he said he had done, like, uh, what was it, Macross and Mospita and Southern Cross as the three uh, Robotech series. And he said on stage, he said, you know, I would love to do Gundam for the next one. And it was like, ooh, okay. So I wrote an article on Robotech and, and talked about the panel. And at the end, I put, you know, that Carl Maycheck said he would love to do Gundam for the next series. Well, they saw that, and they made that the headline. And so <laughs> here's this big headline. 
next Robotech Gundam, you know, and I guess at the time, uh, Tatsunoko, who did the three series that became Robotech, they got wind of this Gundam thing and they got pissed <laughs> and, uh, they got on new type about it and then new type got on me about it. And I think that was, that was my last column there, but it's like, Hey, he said it. I just, I just quoted it. That's all. <laughs> And it was just a by the way at the end. It shouldn't have been a headline. Yeah, it was well what you'd now call clickbait. <laughs> that is yeah. clickbait. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So there was no clicks back then. It was page <laughs> page turn bait, I guess. Um. Oh. Well, uh, speaking of the internet, that does bring and you kind of went over this, but with, with the um, after Markelite, there's a few years, and then. Pension forms is kind of an online version of that. When was there, how much adjusting to the internet and just the influx of information coming in and out of the, the internet? Well, I guess things don't go out of the internet, but coming in, um, you know, because it's, it's not so much how it was where you, no one else was doing it. So you just had to find the information yourselves. Um, right. Was there an adjustment in, you know, hopping onto an online platform like that? Well, you know, this was a few years after kind of the start of when you, <laughs> for you youngins, when you used to have uh, AOL and you oh, pick yeah. up these free AOL cards that would give you like a half hour of internet time or something and you'd sit there with a modem and you'd, you know, dial in and get your half hour and, You'd be sitting there just searching everything you could find on Godzilla or what Ultraman or whatever. And, uh, you know, there, there was some stuff on there. David Milner was like one of the early guys there, and he had a lot of his uh, interviews that he had done. Yeah. Those, are still, Japan, those, yeah, those, oh, those are still up, too. Yeah, those are still up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they're on like his website. It's like davidmilner.org or something, but they're right. still up. They're still good. They're good reads. Yeah, no, he was, he was great. He's, he wrote for us for a little bit. Um, so did Guy Tucker who passed away. He wrote a lot for us, uh, for Markelite. And, uh, that was just before his book was age of gods came out. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, all it was cool getting a hold of all these guys and, you know, it like I say, it was a very early part days of the internet. So getting hold of people like that wasn't real easy. Um, I had been corresponding, writing letters back and forth, basically with people like Ed Guzzeski and Steve rifle and, and all these guys, but uh, but yeah, as soon as the internet came up, it was like you know full speed ahead. In fact, was it 1992? I believe we went down to the uh, we had a good relationship with Ultracom, which was Subaraya Productions LA office, and there was this person down there, Kate McMains, and she really liked us and helped us out with a lot of stuff, sent us information and stills and things. But uh, we went down to be on the set of Ultraman, the Ultimate Hero, which is all in Japan was like Ultraman powered, which really kind of stunk. But um, we got to go down and see them like launch Ultraman in the air like he's flying and we got him got to see him fight Dada. And was that before or after they were using actual cardboard miniature? No, that was a series. They yeah. actually used, card they used cardboard boxes. And it was funny because there were a couple of stories. We interviewed King Wilder, who was the director, and he really had no clue. But, <laughs> um, I mean, he would say things like, well, why does Ultraman yell? His mouth doesn't move. So, 
we're not going to have him yell. So he didn't have the classic like schwatch and things like that. So, and then he's also like, why would he punch and kick the monsters? Because it has no effect. So he, there was a lot of pushing and shooting rays and whatever, you know, and it was just, plus the monster suits looked so cool. Really good designs, really good, you know, execution. Uh, this guy, Kevin Hudson was one of the guys and Bruce Balding uh, Miller was another guy that did these, uh, the suits, but they were made out of like the type of foam rubber you have in couches and things. So they were real fragile. So, you know, if you, uh, threw a monster down, it probably, the head would fall off or an arm would rip or something. So yeah, a lot of pushing and you know, it, was, it was really, really bad. But, um, anyway, we had gone down there to, uh, to do that. And, um, and it was going to lead to another story, which I just got derailed. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we went down there. Oh, yeah. So, Kate, t while we're down there, she tells me, hey, there's this guy working over at Subaraya that he's in the international department and he's, you know, from America and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he wants to get more information and get more, you know, trade some tapes and things like that. And that turned out to be Brad Warner. So, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, Brad and I were... We were trading tapes and faxing back and forth from Japan <laughs> um, for quite a while until yeah we got emails and we could do things a lot easier. But uh, but it was always cool when he was over there. It was like he'd you know when we finally got email, he would you know, email me once in a while and say, "Hey, there's a couple things in the sales department they're going to throw out. Do you want them?" I'm like, "Sure." And he sent me like this box of Ultraman stuff. Um, and, you know, one time there was a big box on my front porch he's like a oh, big box is coming and i opened it up, it was like this uh three foot tall balton model that's pretty sweet that's like oh man yeah those were the days he doesn't work there anymore so i don't get any good stuff but <laughs> yeah his interviews on uh, kaiju cast were incredible just some of the information that he, he put out oh yeah well you know they're uh they're putting out mill creek is putting out the uh, ultraman dvd or ultraman blu-rays now uh, starting in October, they bought all the series from Ultra Q all the way to the new Ultraman Taiga. And they hired Keith Aiken, my Sci-Fi Japan partner, to uh, consult on the box sets. That's great. And, uh, so he's gotten me involved and he got Brad involved as well. Because <laughs> they're, you know, super out tell him like, oh, we don't know where the English dubs are. I think they're around here somewhere. And then Brad can come in and say, well, when I was over there, I put them in this room <laughs> and they're probably still there because it's like they have they're so disorganized they don't know where anything is and it's like you know brad was the one who would like find stuff and oh this is really cool i'll put this away over here for future you know and so he kind of knows and i guess you know in the time he's worked there has been a few years um i guess nothing's moved <laughs> Because he'll say, oh, yeah, this should be over here, and they go find it. <laughs> yeah, on his KaijuCast interview, it was hilarious. He was saying, like, they'd keep, like, important film elements in, like, closets in the, like, bathrooms and stuff. Like, <laughs> that oh, yeah. I couldn't believe the bathroom story was just, ugh. Well, you know, I I'm always amazed at things. It's like I bought the CD soundtrack for uh, Thunderbirds, the old puppet show. Mm -hmm. and uh, I was reading the liner notes on that, and they found the master tapes like in somebody's garage, like in the back full of mold. <laughs> they had to go through, and they had to clean them all, clean off all the mold, 
and then they basically they could play it they play once <laughs> and pretty much disintegrate so they'd have to play them and record them and then you know clean them up but uh yeah i'm sure a lot of the stuff is like that over there it's like back in the day it was like no one really thought you know okay we're doing this tv show and it's going to show you know in 1966 and then we're going to do another one in 67 so the one in 66 that's over and done with you know what do we care yeah because they didn't know that there was going to be you know home video and re-release or even you know even that many repeats it was kind of you know one and done type thing so a lot of the older elements just weren't taken care of that well after henshin dissolved um and you know you and keith get together to do sci-fi japan were there any mistakes or miscalculations in um you know markalite or henshin online that um kind of you were able to prevent informing sci-fi japan anything that um you know made it kind of run a little smoother what is this leading to (laughs) (laughs) um i'll just yeah i'll just say that we uh we learned from some things and we Mm -hmm. just you know basically got together as many people as we could that you know had the knowledge and and were good to work with and you know we launched it from there and you know it's been going for you know over 10 years now i think and it's uh, been a while you know writers come and writers go and you know keith keeps cranking the stuff out and i jump in when i can and um you know but but uh yeah sci-fi japan just took off like like crazy because uh you know we we our stories once in a while we'll post an article and it'll get picked up by cnn or you know other we were on, uh, we were linked on CNN Go, I think it was. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of their international site or something, and they were linking to us all the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's good it's to see nice there's to still of, yeah. a regular flow of content, especially because, like you said, writers come and writers go. I mean, right, I'm right here, <laughs> one of them, you know. Yeah, well, hey, you know. But well, uh, let's be honest, we don't really get paid for this. Right. <laughs> We're all yeah, doing it for yeah, the love don't. of Godzilla or the love of Ultraman or whatever. And so, you know, so yeah, yeah, sometimes real life gets in the way and, you know, you get pulled away for a while and then you come back. But, uh, you know, and even, you know, fandom has its, its differences and things. And um, I kind of learned over the years, it's like, well, you know, I really love this stuff. And, you know, if there's a, a few kids peeing in the pool or whatever then uh, so be it i'll just you know stay in the deep end or something and yeah that's kind of in my attitude enjoy myself you know right so I, I went you mentioned godzilla i actually want to pivot to classic media how did you become uh involved with classic media and how much input did toho have on your terror mecha godzilla commentary because that commentary is great in fact <laughs> one of my like when, one of the things I learned from it was the the suit actor for Titanosaurus was actually wearing it backwards at times, which is incredible to think about. I don't know how he would even do that, but yeah, um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you see how he moved and things. I mean, even like uh, it's kind of like Twin Tail in uh, in Return of yeah. Ultraman. If you're yep. familiar with that monster, but yeah, the suit actor would face forward and face back because you could see him. You know, he he'd bend back, he'd bend forward, and and all that. And so yeah, they had to keep pulling him out of the suit, sticking him in back in. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the audio commentary, classic media basically bought the UPA library 
And those movies were actually out. I think uh, uh, who Paramount, I think, or somebody put them out. Yeah, it was Paramount. Or Scimitar. Yeah. Well, it was Scimitar Paramount video. then Scimitar. Yeah. So Scimitar put them out, and you know they did a pretty good job with them, but there was no extras or anything. They were pretty bare bones. And so, classic media picked up UPA Scimitar, you know that whole library, and uh, they decided they wanted to do something with them, and they ended up getting hold of uh, Ed Godzeski and Steve Rifle, who did audio commentaries on uh, the British release of uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. And uh, they decided, you know, hey, these guys, these guys are good. So they brought them in. And Ed and Steve, basically, they didn't want to do commentaries for every single movie in the set. So they got uh, Keith and I to do Terror Mecha Godzilla, and they got... Uh, Stuart Galbraith, I think he did. Um, which one did he do? Well, he, he did Monster Zero. Monster Zero, yeah. They did Richard Pusateri. He got uh, Godzilla's Revenge, which I thought he did a great job with. So yeah, it's it was kind of like assembling the All Star cast or whatever. And uh, so yeah, we went down and we recorded. It was funny because they kind of ran out of studio time by the time they got to Terra Mecha Godzilla. So Keith and I just went over to Steve's house. And uh, he had us in this one room. He was in another room. And uh, we had a monitor in front of us. And we had our scripts and whatever. And we would just we just went from there. And uh, I was kind of wishing it would be a little more free form. Write the script. Put it together. Submit it to Toho. They had to read it all over and approve it. And then they'd send it back to us. And then we couldn't really deviate from it. Because anything else we would say you know, wouldn't be pre-screened or whatever but um i mean they pretty much wanted to make sure we weren't like sitting there making fun of things and goofing around <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know so uh but yeah i mean it's it's tough you know when, when you can't ad lib or something to actually time the thing out yeah and do it to you know the image of what's going on on the screen and things yeah uh, i've never heard of anyone besides them doing that for a commentary i'm sure it's happened but it's Always yeah, a lot of times you just you put a bunch of notes together and you sit down and uh, you know as you're watching the movie you talk about hey no this is where this has happened and that has happened. Um, one of the better commentaries really is uh, uh, John Carpenter and uh, and Kurt Russell. For yeah, I just was thinking time. about yeah. that because they're like pouring drinks and yeah, they're pouring and beers and yeah, they're, you know, getting looser <laughs> yeah. as they go and yeah, that would have been great. I'd do it that way. Yeah. Did, uh, did Toho make a lot of changes or request a lot of changes from your original script? I'm just curious if there's any things that they asked you to remove that would be factually revel- relevant to, to our audience. No, no, not really. They uh, pretty much just rubber stamped it and sent it back. I I hadn't heard if anyone else had their stuff changed. But, uh, yeah, they didn't uh, have a problem with anything we put down. Um, okay, well, I guess that kind of brings me into um you know bay area film events uh and just how did you get involved in with that and putting on actual events and getting guests i mean that's a little different from you know writing an article here or there. i'm sitting sitting in your room and writing yeah. an article yeah, yeah um yeah i mean we used to go to you know again being the san francisco bay area there's so much going on here and uh we would go to movie screenings here and we'd even, you know, we'd drive down the coast, go down to LA and Hollywood and go to movie screenings like at the Egyptian and things. And we kind of noticed like 
we had up here we had Thrillville, which uh, was hosted by Will Vajaro and his wife uh, Monica, the Tiki Goddess, and uh, they would go up on stage and yuck it up and spin the wheel for prizes, and you know it was a whole kind of lounge lizard type atmosphere. And so, and you know, the Parkway Theater where it was held was one of the first theaters that basically took all the theater seats out and put in couches and let you drink beer and you know whatever so you got a drunk crowd and a b movie and it was just a blast and then we would go down to the egyptian in hollywood and they'd be very serious film scholars and you know talk very seriously about the movie and interview the guests and and present so in one, in the course of like two weeks, uh, I saw Inframan both at Thrillville and at the Egyptian. And then you could really see the contrast because people were just like, it was almost like Mystery Science Theater at the at Thrillville, a bunch of drunk people making fun of the movie. And then we got down to the Egyptian and it was like really overly serious and boring. So we thought, well, there's got to be like a middle ground where you respect the movie and you know you, you talk about the film but you can also have a little fun and give out prizes and you know have a guest or two so we were at uh auctions by the bay which is a, a converted movie theater that was like on a military base a naval base in uh, in alameda and uh this guy alan michon was showing like movies on saturday afternoons like sci-fi films and stuff and he was getting like i don't know 15 20 people a week so we said well hey you know he was gonna quit and give it up we said look just extend it one more week and let us try to do something because we want to kind of get into this stuff and so we put god you know within a like less than a month we put together our first show which was the dynamation celebration and we showed uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and 20 Million Miles to Earth. And uh, we ran around the Bay Area and got a bunch of special effects guys together. Uh, we actually had Phil Tippett there. And uh, we had this guy, Webster Calcord, who had, he had done a lot of stop motion stuff. His first job was uh, the singing raisins that heard it through the Grapevine commercial or whatever. Yeah, that commercial was um, awesome. <clears throat> yeah, he, that was his first job. And then, uh, yeah, he's gone on to do Pirates of the Caribbean and Superman Returns and Ted 2 and all this stuff. But um, we had him there and we had uh, Justin Cohn and Jim Pearl who did uh, work on like Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. So, yeah, we had like a panel of special effects guys and a local Creature Features host, John Stanley, we had him host it. And then we just did flyers and threw them out everywhere and we got like 200 people there and so he was like really happy so <laughs> um so we were already talking about doing godzilla fest and uh, there was a group of us you know getting ready to do it and uh and alan michon originally kind of you know wasn't sure about it he was just you know giving us a chance with one and another guy who owned theaters, he was, uh, he was, I had breakfast with him and he wasn't really that interested. He didn't think it would do that well. So we ended up at the Castro Theater in San Francisco, which is huge. And uh, 
this guy, Eddie Miller, who did the film noir festivals there. He still does them there. He's actually, I guess, Turner Classic Movies. He's on the, he introduces all their noir films now. Uh, he got us in there into the Castro. So we're like, great, let's do that. And we talked to the programmer there and what, what started out as like a weekend thing turned out to be seven days, 22 movies. We brought uh, Jerry Ito up from LA. We brought Russ Tamblin up from LA because we were showing War of the Gargantuas. We got, uh, uh, who did we get? Oh, we got Sutomu Kitagawa, who was the current Godzilla actor at the time. We got Hiroshi Koizumi, and then we got Akira Kubo. And uh, we also found Ed Keen like wandering the streets of San Francisco. He played the mayor of Rolisica down in, uh, in Mothra. <laughs> so we're not aware of this guy, I guess Newkirk city. And so we had all those guys there and we were, we did this huge show and, you know, uh, second show almost killed us. But, uh, we had like sat that Saturday night, we showed Mothra and Tokyo SOS, which was the new movie at the time. Uh, they were working on Final Wars when we were doing this. And uh, we had Hiroshi Koizumi and Jerry Ito and Ed Keen there, sort of like a Mothra reunion. We had 900 people in the theater, which uh, which was amazing for Godzilla. Yeah. And, and then Sunday we had Son of Godzilla and, uh, how was it, Son of Godzilla and Monster Zero. And we had Akira Kubo on stage. We got like 450 people there. So uh, it was a, a big success. And we kind of springboarded off of that. We did quite a few shows at the Castro before we kind of moved around to other theaters uh, throughout the Bay Area. But we did Castro Theater. We did a James Bond show. We did a Creature from the Black Lagoon triple bill where two of them were shown in 3D. And uh, we did quite a few shows there. And then... Uh, we kind of moved around to anywhere from Santa Santa Cruz to Sacramento to El Cerrito to you know Oakland and and things and uh, we did, we kind of did other shows until about like 2012 well no actually 2010 we did a Halloween show at the uh, Grand Lake Theater in in Oakland and we did two nights we did a family friendly night and a not so family friendly night. <laughs> So family friendly night was Son of Godzilla and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. We want to show Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but the Paramount Theater in Oakland booked that like a week before us, so ah, we had to go with another one. And then not so family friendly night was the Howling and Motel Hell. Ah. So uh, that was that was that was one of my favorite ones. It's like ah, yeah, anytime you can show Motel Hell on the big screen. <laughs> It was it takes all kind of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters, <laughs> but um, yeah. And so you know, we kind of that was like dabbling in Godzilla. But then in like 2012, we did the 50th anniversary of King Kong versus Godzilla. That was at the uh, Bow Theater in San Leandro. So we showed King Kong versus Godzilla and GMK, and uh, we had a local horror host, Ball Rock, host it, and a surf group called the Deadlies played. Back to the Godzilla Fest with Russ Tamblin. You know, he'd kind of famously been very dismissive of War of the Gargantuas, even when he was working on it. Um, 
but from what I understand, that was the first time he ever really kind of like sat down and watched it. And I think he had either his kids or grandkids with him, and like he was actually kind of like surprised, and he was like, "That was actually like kind of good." And Russ, <laughs> Tam- Russ Tamlin was great. I mean, he was one of the funner guests that we had. Not just at that show, but any show. Yeah. And, you know, people were all saying, oh, yeah, he hates the movie and he's an ass and all this stuff. And it was farther, from, you know, so far from the truth. It's like I ended up picking him and his wife up at the airport. And uh, at the time, I think, uh, God, was it Joan of Arcadia was on and his daughter Amber Tamlin was in that? Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they got off the plane, he had to find some magazine. I think it was GQ or something that had pictures of like celebrity parents and offspring or whatever. And so there was a, a full page picture of him and Amber in this issue. So we had to go around all the, uh, all the magazine stands in the airport until he found a stack. <laughs> and it was funny because his wife and I were standing outside waiting. And all of a sudden from behind one of the racks, I see this hand go up with a handful of magazines. He's shaking them. And he comes out. I found him. He bought a bunch of them. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, we got a hold of him. We told him, hey, we're gonna, we've got a print of War of the Gargantuas we're showing as part of this show. And uh, we were wondering if you'd like to come up and you know, be a guest. And he said, sure, why not? So he came up. And uh, I think we showed it like on a Thursday night. And, uh, and yeah, he, he sat there with it. You know, he had his family there and, uh, he didn't have Amber, but yeah, <laughs> had his family there and, uh, watched the movie. And, you know, here people are like cheering for the gargantuas and, you know, and all this. And he was like, yeah, that, that movie was a lot of fun. And so when we got him up on stage, I kind of only asked him like one question. He just went on by himself for like an hour, <laughs> just talking <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he was he was all hyped up and he signed autographs and then at the end of the evening he goes, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go out and hang out with my friend uh uh guy who was it? It was uh David Crosby uh, from Crosby Stills mm-hmm. National. He lives up here. And he goes, "I'm going to go hang out with David, but can I come back on Saturday and sign some more?" I'm like, "Sure. <laughs> come on back." And uh and he had a blast. He disappeared at one point. We didn't know where he went. <laughs> and it turns out that right up the street from the theater, there's a bar on Castro Street and Market called the Twin Peaks Bar. Oh, well, there oh, yeah, so he's yeah, like, yeah. I had to go have, I had to go have a drink at <laughs> yeah, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he was up there telling everybody, hey, you know who I am? <laughs> yeah, I always like that story because, uh, I mean, people still <laughs> give him crap about things he said about that movie in the past, but... I mean, I think with age, some of these guys that when they take the job, they do it for work, and they're like, oh, I'm in this silly thing that kids are going to watch. I, it, I think Rhodes Reason was a little bit similar. Hello, it's like yeah, before, they did it for a free trip to Japan. And yeah, a yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, it was a few years before he passed away that he started doing conventions and talking to people that love King Kong Escapes. And, yeah. he, you know, it was like, oh, this means a lot to people, and it was cool to be a part of it. So, it's, yeah, it's never... I guess too late for some of these guys that, you know, at one well, point I'll, or another seem I'll to be I'll tell cranky. you two really, I'll tell you two really cool reactions. Then I'll tell you a really cool story. But um, down at the Egyptian, they had a 50th anniversary Godzilla thing the same year we had Godzilla Fest. So we went down there. I think theirs was like a month before ours. 
And they had Nick Adams' son there. Mm. And they showed Monster Zero. And so, you know, his son, he just knew that, you know, dad did some Japanese movies, and, you know, back in the 60s or whatever. And so he was at Mon watching Monster Zero. And, of course, the crowd's going wild for Nick Adams because he just, like, chews up the scenery through the whole movie. And cheering for the movie and everything else. And he's back there, and it's like, you can see his chest swelling up, you know. And, was, and afterwards, he was like, that was great. I didn't realize that my dad did that. You know, he's like, because for him, it was like his dad was known for like the rebel mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. You know, he didn't really know that much about War the Great or Monster Zero or Frankenstein Conquers the World. So, um, but yeah, he saw him and he saw everyone's reaction to his dad and he thought that was just great. And then uh, when we showed that one night when we had 900 people from Mothra and Tokyo SOS, before the movie started, we had Jerry Ito was out there who played Nelson in the movie and uh, Hiroshi Koizumi was out there and uh, yeah, the other Japanese actors that were there for the other movies, they were all there. So everyone was going and getting autographs from the Japanese actors, just swamping their tables. And uh, not too many, you know, a few people came over and got autographs from Jerry. And so we showed Mothra and they saw his performance in the movie. Yeah. And as soon as the movie was over and we got him to his table, he got flooded. <laughs> Everybody wanted his autograph at that point. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, he did a good job. Check it out. You know, but yeah, he's uh, great as Nelson. That's a, that's a fantastic performance in that movie. Oh yeah. I mean, even like, even right at the end, it's like, you know, he grabs that guy's cane and throws it down <laughs> and you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm kind of, I never asked him. I was going to ask him if that was just like, if that was in the script or if he just, you know, saw a guy with a cane and thought, you know, I'll just grab this cane and throw it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, to this day, I, I love that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite non Godzilla films. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just oh, between great. Jerry Ito and Frankie Sakai and of course, Hiroshi Koizumi. I mean, it's all, it's as good as it gets back then. It was, uh, a great cast basically and of course it was cool having tokyo sos because uh Kurosu koizumi reprised his role so instead of seeing a young actor on the screen and then this old guy comes out on stage and you know hey, i was in this movie here he comes out and he looks exactly like he did in the movie and so i think the audience has had much a much better uh, appreciation or much better reaction to that but all the all the Japanese actors were very emotional. Akira Kubo had never really gone to a show, and uh, at the time when we were talking about getting guests, I was like, I want Akira Kubo. I want Akira Kubo over here because he was like one of my favorites. And uh, we got him over there, and he was like, yeah, he was he was sick for a few years, and uh, he came over, and uh, when he went back. Uh, the person we Shigeko who got us a guess, she's like, Oh, he's never looked this good. You know, he's, he's, he looks great. He's, he's really happy and, and joyous. In fact, at the very end of the show, when he was up on stage, we got let all the guests go up and kind of say their goodbyes to the audience. And he got up there and started singing. I left my heart in San Francisco, at least whatever words he could remember. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just like tears in the audience. It was funny. <laughs> but, uh, but the biggest thing, the big, the big story I was going to tell is uh, I had no clue how close 
Hiroshi Koizumi and Jerry Ito were. And they hadn't seen each other in probably 40 years. And so when I picked up Jerry Ito and his wife at the airport, the first thing she says is, is Hiroshi here? And I'm like, no, no, he's, he's at the theater. We'll go see him now. Oh, okay. So we, uh, we went over to the theater and there they were. And the two, yeah, they saw each other and oh, they gave each other these big hugs and they were like totally inseparable for the whole show. And then at the end, when it was time to go, you know, they hugged and said goodbye and they were both in tears as they were <laughs> going their separate ways. You know, Jerry was going back to LA and Koizumi was going back to Japan. And, uh, and you know, Jerry, you know, passed away a few years later. So I don't think they ever saw those, each other again after that. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just all these little kind of stories within events that, you know, you can't really go up on stage and, hey, guess what happened today? You know, <laughs> like, so a lot of people don't see that, you know, unless they, they hear about it later. So you mentioned uh, past Godzilla Fest. I want to turn right now to uh, Ultramania. Can you just talk about your involvement with Ultramania and what that was? Yeah, well, you know, Godzilla Fest was a big success. And Brad Warner was one of our translators at Godzilla Fest. And uh, so he went back and told everyone at work, you know, hey, I did this show and they had all these people at Castro, blah, blah, blah. And so Subaraya approached us about doing an Ultraman show because they were just releasing uh, Ultraman the Next, which uh, which was a great movie. And I wish they kind of went that direction. But um, – they wanted us to show that and then we said okay well can we also show a couple other movies or maybe some episodes and things and they kind of like let brad and us kind of plan the thing and uh it took off from there i mean we showed ultraman the next and we showed episodes of ultraman and i think the newest one at the time was max ultraman max we showed the first two episodes of that uh we showed like an episode of mirror man we showed uh ultraman tiga the movie we showed um a couple of the was the image had uh, had the Ultraman Gaia movie and the Tiga Dyna movie, and so we you know we showed all that stuff and we had vendors there and uh, we brought over uh, Shinichi Wakasa who worked on a lot of the Godzilla suits but he also worked on some of the Ultraman series, and we also brought over um, Hiroshi Mariyama who designed kind of all the Heisei Ultraman characters and a lot of the monsters and so. Um, in addition to that, we put on a stage show. We got they sent us an Ultraman Dyna suit, and uh, they sent us like a mask of an alien, like an alien mask. They were like, "God, we gotta have this guy fight a monster or something, or an alien or something." And uh, so, uh, Webster Calcord, who I mentioned from our first show, he actually put together an alien suit for us, and so we used the mask and we. Uh, we had our friend Butch go up on screen. You know, basically, we pre-recorded something on screen where he's uh, we were giving away an Ultraman guitar, Ibanez Ultraman guitar. So I had uh, Mr. Lobo, who hosts Cinema Insomnia, and uh, a local DJ um, go up there on stage, and they were going to give away the guitar. So suddenly up on screen, this alien comes up and says, you know, you know, the guitar is mine and everyone is trapped and, you know, all this other, you know, crazy stuff. And so we had uh, another friend of us had a, had a robot monster suit, you know, like the gorilla suit with a diving helmet on yeah, it. Yeah. 
And so Robot Monster comes up and grabs the guitar. And then uh, we had these little uh, Kevin D'Antonio who works with us. He uh, found these little blinky rings online. They were like 30 cents each or something. But they blinked red and they blinked blue. So, oh, that's perfect. So we had Lobo up there and he'd say, you know, everybody turn on your rings to call Ultraman. And so, you know, he, he had like 400 people in the audience all holding up these rings and flashing red and blue. And and then we had a sound effect and Ultraman came on stage. And uh, we had these guys, the stunt guys from, uh, stunt people from San Francisco. And they did all the stunts and the big fight on stage and everything. But the funny thing about it is these Ultraman suits are made for little skinny Japanese guys. And the stunt guys from San Francisco were all pretty muscular. So we found like the skinniest one of them. And so, okay, you got to go in this suit. So uh, we rehearsed. Everything was great. So day of the show, it's like, you know, 15 minutes before we're supposed to start. And I'm getting this guy in the Ultraman suit. And the, the zipper on the back is like plastic, like this cheap zipper. So I start to zip him up and it broke. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. So he's going to have to, like, fight with his back to the screen. But then again, he's got this ponytail hanging out. So the Ultraman's going to have a ponytail. <laughs> and uh, I, I got Brad. And I go, oh, crap. You know, we, we broke the suit. We broke the zipper, you know. And he's like, well, wait. Mariyama used to work on the set, and he used to fix the suits on set. I'm like, great. Get him over here. So he comes over, and he borrowed a Leatherman. And... uh then he go. He said he needed wire. I'm like, oh crap! Where are we gonna get wire? So, uh, my friend Butch and I climbed underneath the stage, and we found like these old sconces which had had like wire wrapped around them. So we pulled them out, and then Mariama's like cutting these little pieces of wire and poking holes in the suit and basically like stitching it up with wire. And he got it all basically put together about ten minutes late in starting, but. Uh, but he went out there. He was supposed to also do like a photo. He was supposed to get out of the suit and then get back in and do a photo thing, but we couldn't restitch it up. So he just kind of did the fight, and then that was the end of Ultraman. But <laughs> that's uh, still pretty awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh god, what do we do? We broke the suit. But yeah, luckily Super I didn't like charge us for it or anything. Um. So we do have uh, another Godzilla Fest coming. Um. This is your your time to. To, to sell people on it, what what's in store for for, for the show <laughs> this year? Well, you know, Godzilla, it was originally Godzilla Fest, and then we went to Godzilla Night, and we did like uh, like six or seven Godzilla Nights, you know, like one each year. And then as it kind of grew, it wasn't a night anymore. Last week was a whole weekend, or last year was a whole weekend, and this year is three days so it's not really godzilla night anymore so, so it's we back just to being a fest we'll now. go back to godzilla <laughs> fest again so it's godzilla fest and a lot of people are actually really glad we did it's like okay i didn't know how much people like that but um yeah so it's going to be three days and we've actually got 12 movies so you know up until this point i say we did 22 of the first one and then ever since then it'd be one or two or you know the most three but uh and we got 22 movies, I'm sorry, we got 12 movies this time. And luckily, Janus Films got the theatrical rights to all the classic movies. So it's like, you know, you know obviously the Criterion box set's coming out. Mm, yep, yep. So most of those were the ones we got to choose from. I'm like, hot damn. Because 
again, I think Godzilla versus the thing is like the best of the best. And it wasn't even available when we did the first one. Yeah. We showed a bunch of classics, but that one was not available. Now it is. So that's going to be in the show. Um, we're actually kicking off Friday with something I always wanted to do. We've got two screens going at once the whole weekend. So you kind of have to bounce back and forth, whatever you want to see. So Friday in one theater, we have the classic 1971 drive-in double feature of Monster Zero and War of the Gargantuas, both in English. And then in the other theater, we have Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas, both Japanese subtitled. So you can pick your poison. You can go into one theater and see the classic double bill, or you can go into the other theater and see the actual film and sequel. And so uh, that's... That kicks it off, but uh, well, we're also showing. Yeah, we're showing. Um, I got my whole list right here. Uh, of course, Godzilla is a thing. Ghidra, the three-headed monster, Monster Zero, destroy all monsters. Um, Rodan, son of Godzilla. Uh, Godzilla versus Megalon. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Terror of Mechagodzilla. And Keith and I promise not to talk during it. <laughs> uh, Frankenstein conquers the world, and of course, War of the Gargantuas. And uh, and we are showing the nineteen or the two thousand nineteen Godzilla King of the Monsters because Michael Doherty is our special guest. Yep. And uh, it was funny because I have a podcast called Planet Eight, and uh, if you check it out, I'll talk about it later. But we have one episode where we reviewed Godzilla King of the Monsters, and we did a one hour interview with Michael Doherty. And Keith and I actually did the interview, and then I just you know added it to the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great interview, by the uh, way. I listened to it. Uh, yeah, I gotta say, man, yeah. Michael Doherty is just as big a geek as any of us when it comes to Godzilla. He loves it. And by the time we got done with the the interview, you know, we all kind of bonded over this interview. And then I mentioned, hey, you know, I'm doing a show in, in August, and I'm showing all these movies. I rattled off some of the titles, and he goes. But, you know, if you can if you can fit my movie in there, I'll come up. <laughs> oh yeah, done. <laughs> okay. It was and it was as easy as that. <laughs> it was as <laughs> That's easy awesome. as that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just amazed. It's like you know, I, on the the day that the news broke about the Criterion box set, yeah. my my phone goes off and there's a text from Michael Doherty with a link to the box set. I'm like, <laughs> I got Michael Doherty like texting news to me. This is great. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he'll be there the whole weekend. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, we have vendors. So we have uh, a couple toy vendors, Kevin D'Antonio, who uh, basically has great price, great prices on a bunch of cool stuff. And also uh, James Osborne, who does uh, Final Kaiju Legion. He'll be the other dealer there. And then we have three artists. We've got uh, Lenny Romero, who does really amazing like pencil sketches that look like photographs and he's just starting to get into color now. So I don't know. He'll probably have some color stuff there. And then we've got Gaz Gretzky and we've got uh, Nick Shev. Yeah. I love Nick Shev's a friend of ours. So yeah, Nick, Nick is amazing. In fact, it's funny. I earlier this year at the ripe old age that I am, I decided to get a tattoo and I figured, well, I'm going to get creature from the black lagoon. I said, who's, who could do that for me? And I ended up getting Matt Frank to do the creature for me. 
And so I got that. So the other arm is like, I got you Godzilla. So what am I going to do? And so I, I got Nick is going to work on that one. That's so. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love his work. He gave me a, a print last year at a, G Fest Mecha Godzilla and I and it's it's really cool. I love, I love his stuff. Yeah, he gave me a Baragon. Yeah, no, Nick Nick's good. We're we want to uh, have we're gonna have him on here at some point. Um, probably just to talk movies. Um, well, Bob, it sounds like you'd mentioned that it sounds like, it definitely sounds like the screening rights are a lot easier. Um, going through Janus, um, uh, much easier. When you used to have to go through Toho, they would say you could only show prints like 35 millimeter prints and so you'd have these you know a movie with 35 millimeter prints are like two or three reels big heavy reels and so not only did you have to license those for extravagant toho fees but you also had to ship them over from japan and back so it was a huge expense so yeah and you know most theaters these days because of all those expenses don't really do film you know they they, do digital yeah it's all dcp and you know digital and whatever so you know that's pretty much the route we're going Mm -hmm. you know we ended we showed a print a couple prints at the harryhausen show we did earlier um in the year and uh you know you really kind of roll the dice when you try to get collected like sometimes the distributors don't have a print and you have to go get a collector's print and then those collector's prints, a lot of them are like old 16-millimeter TV prints and things. And some are not always in the greatest quality. So at least with the digital, you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> this and the, the previous Godzilla Fest that had like 100 guests, I mean, what's, what's the prep like for a, a show like that? You know, how much time does it take to plan out? Um, and so on and so forth. Well, yeah, we do, you know, our goal is usually to do three shows a year. And, yeah, we've been doing two a year just because real life has gotten in the way. But um, it's a good three months to kind of get everything together. And you want to get, you know, all your – because we'll usually print up like 5,000 postcards and a bunch of posters and – drive around the Bay Area, put them out, or, you know, send them off to, I think Lenny had some at, at G-Fest this year, and he took some down to San Diego. Chris Mowry put some at the Toho booth at San Diego Comic-Con for us. And uh, so, you know, we get them out however we can get them out, you know, as well as the whole online push. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're saying, like, if people buy a weekend pass for this thing, uh, they get a button, they get a uh, lanyard, and they get a... Uh, a silk screened poster, which is really cool. I have to, I finally have a picture of it. I'll have to post it. Um, basically from three fish studios of King Ghidra, like blasting San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. I, it's this, I have the website pulled up now. I'm looking right yeah. at it. There you go. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. But again, you know, you've got to, you got to order banners and you got to get the buttons going and design the posters and the postcards and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so yeah, it takes it takes a while, and then of course you have to put together the schedule, and then you have to uh, figure out when the guests are going to be there. Our guests are going to be up there. We've got uh, Lord Bloodraw, who hosts Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Wrecking Theater. He's going to be our host uh, at least on Friday and Saturday, and so you know I have to work with him and 
Yeah, it's just a lot of logistics, you know, making sure that the dealers all have the right space in the lobby. This lobby this year is like jam packed. So uh, I've got other artists and dealers that wanted to be in on it. And I had to say, you know, I'm real sorry. We don't have Matt Frank wanted to come out and sell. I'm like, oh man, I don't have room. Like, we can come out and have fun if you want. He might do that. But, you know. Yeah, you, you never know who's going to show up to these Cal Yount is coming down for it. He wants to, uh, he was down for a couple of the earlier ones. And he definitely wants, he wants to come down for this one. Yeah, so, it sounds like uh, an awesome time. Yeah, I know uh, Richard Pusateri basically told me he's already booked his hotel, so he'll be up here. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the old guys, new guys. I think Keith is even coming out of hibernation to come to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, yeah, it definitely sounds exciting. That's uh, Godzilla Fest is August 23rd, 24th, and 25th at the historic Balboa Theater in San Francisco. Uh, I'm, I got the, it uh, looks like individual tickets are twelve fifty, uh, 10 for seniors, um, and then uh, you got passes for Friday, Saturday, Sunday for 60 50 for Friday, Saturday, and 25 per day. I mean, that's more than reasonable for the amount of stuff going on here. Now, like I say, if you buy the three-day pass, then, you, like you say, you get the poster, you get the a lanyard, and you get a button. And uh, we'll see if we can put a couple other incentives in there. But, uh, yeah, it should, be, it should be a blast. You can go to bayareafilmevents.com for all the information and links to the tickets. Uh, we also have a uh, Facebook, uh, basically facebook.com slash Bay Area Film Events. And there's also links there to an event page where you can go on and if you want to ask questions or talk Godzilla or whatever you want to do. Um, and then I'll, you know, we usually post the latest news on that. Yeah, no, I definitely encourage anyone listening to, to check it out if, uh, you know, travel and money and life will allow it. Um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Beg, borrow, steal. <laughs> right. How often can you see all these movies on the big screen? I mean, it's, that's the whole, you know, one big reason why we do this is just because it's so amazing to not just see the movies on a big screen, but to see it with a large audience of people that are like-minded and love these movies too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's kind of fun to do the whole community. You know, it's not like, it's not like you're going to your cineplex and someone's going to be kicking your seat and spilling their coke on the floor and whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the people are there to enjoy the movie and to have fun. And, you know, the crowds are amazing. They're always, you know, well, we've never had a problem. They're always well behaved. Um, we had, <laughs> I'll tell you one kind of off subject story, but it's pretty funny. We did a Beatles show down in Santa Cruz and this guy comes in dressed to the hilt like john lennon like in the white suit the long hair and the round glasses beard looked just like john lennon he was in the movie he was in the theater there and uh we had this uh this guy drew harrison doing a john lennon set on stage and this guy had epilepsy i guess and had a seizure in the theater so we had to like pull him out of theater you know get him out in the lobby and call 911 and here comes this ambulance and they walk in and here's John Lennon, like sitting in the lobby having a seizure. 
Well, I don't think you have to worry about seizing John Lennon cosplayers at Godzilla Fest, at least. No, I mean, we do have some people like, you know, they'll, they'll dress up as, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. when they come in. It's kind of hard to, unless you have a Godzilla suit to cosplay, you know. Right, yeah. So, you know, you could, you could put together like a Sarazawa suit, you know, yeah. lab, an eye patch or something. But, uh, but we do encourage people to dress up if they can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all, always a lot of fun. We have a kind of goofy looking Godzilla suit that makes appearances to these things. And, uh, so it will, it will be basically down in my basement right now. So it'll definitely be at the show this year. Okay. Well, no, it sounds awesome. And, um, yeah, it's awesome that, that you guys continue to do stuff like this. Um, as far as questions on our end, I think we're good. I think that Matt, do we have anything, uh, that we are forgetting? No, I think we got everything. Um, so tell, how can our audience get a hold of you if they're interested? And make sure you, you talk about uh, your podcast, Planet 8. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should yeah, talk well, about you know, Planet 8 a little bit. As if I didn't have enough to do. <laughs> Basically, I live with no adult supervision. So um, I, I do the Sci-Fi Japan and Bay Area Film Events. And about a year ago, we started a podcast called Planet 8. And it's myself and uh, Larry Kakos and Karen Walker. And we uh, basically, it's fun because it's my chance to talk about stuff that isn't Godzilla or Japanese, even though once in a while I'll sneak something in. But um, it's my chance. So, like, we're getting together, I think it's uh, in a couple of weeks to record episodes on Planet of the Apes and Creature from the Black Lagoon. And, you know, we've done star trek episodes and you know we do whatever the new movies are we've done infinity wars and incredibles 2 and spider-man and all that so um yeah it's just a lot of fun and you know give us a chance where we come out twice a month on the 8th and the 22nd and uh you can find it at uh, uh planetatepodcast.blogspot.com or you can also find it on itunes and all the other regular podcast forums and uh yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun we've got i think we just released our 31st episode and then as far as if people want to get a hold of me probably the best thing is through facebook um you know i'm sure if you search bob johnson on facebook like five thousand listings will come up because there's many of us in the world <laughs> but uh, ever since the very beginning of the internet i've gone by big kniff um, which Kniff was a, a term coined by Goulardi and later the Ghoul and uh, as basically Fink spelled backwards. So I've just been Big Kniff. So I think if you search Big Kniff, B-I-G-K-N-I-F on, uh, on Facebook, you'll probably find me. All right. Well, uh, it's been awesome chatting with you. And uh, yeah, thanks again for, for joining us. Yeah, appreciate oh, thanks. You, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right. Well, um, all right. Well, yeah, thanks again, and uh, we'll head out. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.